Grab your pre-workout and turn up that volume. It is time for a new episode of the Powerlifters Den with your host, Cam Smith. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode six of the Powerlifters Den. Um, I'm Cam Smith, and today I wanted to bring on a guest for someone who's been a big part of my powerlifting career in terms of meets. Uh, Alexander Oman uh, has done a lot for RPS and is a powerlifter himself, so why don't you introduce yourself? All right. If you've been to an RPS meet in Northe- in the Northeast, you know, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and you met a guy in a kilt, that's me. Uh, I've been wearing a kilt most of my life and uh, just continued on with powerlifting. So if you've been to an RPS meet, you've seen me, you know who I am, uh, you know how involved I am, and you know that I give a lot back to the sport. So yes. last week you had the uh, the best bench pressure in the world. Uh, this week you got the most mediocre bench presser in the world. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, for me, RPS has been the only federation I've competed in so far. Um, I did a, I started off my career by doing a push pull at East Coast Fitness. And then from there, I've done three full power meets, all RPS. Uh, two of them were the all out of bubble gum. And this most recent one was the New England Revolution at MetFit and Natick. Um, so, Alex, tell us about how you became a powerlifter. All right. Uh, years ago, when I was in college, uh, I did a lot of lifting with the uh, with the gym there. And then after graduation, got a little drunk, got a little married, uh, got divorced, and ended up going back to the gym to, to help with all the mess that I was. And wanted to be a bodybuilder, you know, visions of being Arnold and all that good stuff, uh, realized that the diet was not something I like to do. I tried to diet down twice for a show and just realized it's not for me. Uh, spent a few more years in the gym until a friend of mine told me that one of the guys actually I met him on bodybuilding.com uh, told me there was a meet down in Wareham, Mass and said, why don't you come do it? And I said, you know, I just, my numbers aren't good. I don't have a good bench, all this, you know, the usual thing that new lifters say. And he told me something that has stuck with me the whole time that uh, if you don't step up and do it, you never will. And that's kind of done a lot for a lot of people. Uh, I've tried to push, push that a little bit because there's always somebody stronger and I've done a lot to get people involved. That's kind of how I ended up where I am is that always want to see someone else take that next step and push themselves a little harder. Yeah. And as a, as a powerlifting coach and, having friends that are like gym rats and have thought about competing. I know a lot of them are like, how much weight do I have to gain or what total do I need to start? And it's, it's not about that. That's not what the sport's about. Obviously winning is fun, but it's not the main purpose of the sport. It's just go out there and do it, have fun. So it's nice to hear that. Yeah. That's, it's a lot, a lot like why Gene years ago, I started running meets. Uh, 2014 was the first meet that I ran. And that was the Southern Mass Blast. Uh, Gene Rickslack, who owned RPS, uh, he and I set it up as a beginner novice meet. It was just a push-pull, but it was a lot for a first step for people to get into. We took it at a slower pace. We kind of catered to the new lifters and made it uh, made it for everybody. And a lot of those people that started at those have gone on to do some big things. Uh, Katrina Bielamiza started with one of the beginner novice meets. And if you don't know who she is, she actually right now has the world's, uh, the women's heavyweight or the women's all-time world record bench press. That's awesome. So. Yeah. I mean, so that, that first push pull that I did at East coast was, I think it was Southern mass blast, I believe seven. So 
that's what kind of got me into it. I wanted to test the waters and I think that was a great way to start. I had fun. And now obviously from there, I've gotten a lot stronger. I've gotten a lot more technical. Um, I've started coaching on my own and now I'm part of a crew over at Evolve. Um, I mean, obviously I'm back home, so I'm not with them as much as I'd like to be, but it's nice having that crew now instead of kind of going on your own and kind of trial by fire at that point. So having a meet like that was very helpful. Yeah. John, John Rupo that owns Evolve. He's, he's good people. He's, uh, he's always been good for the sport and good for uh, a friend of mine. Yeah. So, so um, you used to be a raw lifter, but you have switched to equipped. Um, do you still train raw? Um, is it mostly equipped? When did you switch? Things like that. All right. Uh, I did. I, I was a raw lifter for many years. I used knee wraps. So call that what you will, but uh, always use knee wraps just because when I was younger, I was a BMX racer and kind of beat myself up a little bit, but uh, reached a point where I just, I wanted to push bigger numbers. Uh, and I'm a little bit of the oddball in the fact that I squat in a gear, I bench in gear, but I pull raw and I pull conventional. Um, just the deadlift suits have never really done a lot for me. They've always been detrimental, in fact, to my deadlift. So I still pull raw. I still train my deadlift raw, uh, although I haven't trained it since last November when I got injured. So taking a break on those. And and deadlift's more of a bench accessory anyway. So <laughs> yeah, you said that the other last week. Yep. Uh, so with kind of training uh, equipped. Um, how do you incorporate like raw movements? Like you said, you deadlift raw, but for you, it's like a accessory work, I guess. Um, um, I mean, I still go heavy. I'll get up to 500 and 500 plus pounds. Uh, heaviest deadlift I ever pulled raw was 610 in competition. So, uh, so I squat, you know, I do all my warm ups raw, uh, mostly with a squat. I will put briefs on before I get going too heavy and then end up getting into depending on the training mode for the day, whether I'm in a full suit or whether I'm just in briefs uh, with straps down, but that's dependent on the day and how well I feel. I train a lot more by feel. I go in with a somewhat of a plan and then switch over to how I feel as, as the weights get heavier. Uh, with bench, it's always warming up raw. Uh, once I get to about three plates, then I start putting on a Widowmaker or a band. And then once I get well over four, 450 i put the shirt on and go from there all of my accessories are done raw uh with the exception of if i'm doing like a cold grip bench uh that i'll put the band on for yep. in fact i posted that video yesterday 315 off a two board for 15 reps uh with cold grip so uh still do a lot raw squats any accessory movements are either briefs or raw so yeah uh, uh so it's funny because now that I've gotten a little bit taste of equipped, um, it's kind of you convinced me, John, being around John, being around Charlie, who's starting to move into equipped, yep. starting to get a little bit of an itch for it. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking of trying to use it as a, a training tool to overload. Uh, yep. What are your thoughts on that? So it's interesting. My So on that note, my wife, when she competes, she competes raw and she'll do a crossover to equipped bench. So what that means is you get three raw squats, four benches, and then three raw deadlifts. And you can break your bench up however you need. So she'll take two raw benches in the shirt and two, or sorry, two raw benches and then two benches in the shirt. And I've done that before meets. It does add a little bit to it. 
but it's a way that you can get into the equipment, still stay raw, and still enjoy the meats. Uh, it is a little extra fee to do that, but you got to have a good raw base, raw base before you get into the gear. Um, and especially some of the gear you get into, there's a level of pain you have to learn to withstand. Yep. Uh, I know with the, with the F8 shirts, with the band shirts, it's a little easier than it is doing like a triple ply SDP, you know, insert shirt or an overkill shirt. But even the F8 still has a learning curve and there's still a lot of pain to go with it. So, yeah. Like uh, I was telling you, kind of trying out one of John's like single ply shirts that was obviously way too big for me. It yeah. was just the pressure was just, it's crazy. And yeah. It gets to you. It gets to you fast. <laughs> um, I mean, I've had many days where I've done a heavy squat workout and driven home with a big headache uh, just because of the pressure. Bench days, I've done the same thing. Um, I think the worst one was I did uh, a thousand pound static hold uh, for a squat. Just you lift it up and hold it for seven seconds, basically to adapt your CNS. And when I was leaving the gym, even the gym owner was like, I don't know if Alex is ready to drive yet. He, might, you know, it took me a while to get home and I took it kind of slow. But yeah, the, the pressures when you get into a shirt changes a lot. Yeah. As far as training goes. Yeah. So I, I, more on your training. I know recently you've had some health complications and you seem to be starting to get back into it. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, that kind of road to recovery and kind of getting back into it? Yep. Um, so what happened was is last November, uh, I was due to compete December 6th down in Pennsylvania. Uh, Thanksgiving, when we went to Thanksgiving and that night, uh, just something felt off. I had a lot of pain in my stomach and I just assumed it was, you know, I ate something that was bad and just my stomach was reacting. Uh, but it turns out I had actually fractured my liver. I quite literally split my liver in half. Um, and there was a, you know, came chunk of it just broke free. Uh, it did settle back into place, but it was about a week later where finally the pain reached a point where it's like, okay, I got to get this checked out. And I went to Morton hospital down in Taunton, Mass, which don't ever do that unless you're dying, in which case it's a good place to die. It's <laughs> just a horrible hospital. Uh, the nurses were great, but it just was bad. Um, uh, so anyways, fractured my liver i took the obviously i didn't make it to the meet i got discharged the day before i was supposed to compete uh they told me basically you can't can't compete uh the doctor broke it down as a month of no lifting uh three to four months of light lifting and then you can get back to heavyweights after that and i was kind of like well what exactly are light weights <laughs> um so the doctor said she said when i put 40 pounds on the squat bar it's heavy and I pulled my phone out and showed him a video of me squatting 650 and was like, ah, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> so the surgeon said, how about just a month of no lifting, uh, three to four months of don't do stupid shit, and then you can get back to heavy stuff after that. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, okay, I can work with that. <laughs> so I did. I took the month of December off, uh, came off all, all the extra supplements, came off everything, uh, did a good post-cycle. Just took it easy for the month of December. About mid-January, I finally started to, to lift again. Just taking an empty bar uh, for squats and for bench. With deadlift, there's just there's so much pressure right at that point. I really wanted to give my liver some extra time to heal. So probably in the next couple of weeks, I got to start deadlifting again. Nice. And then it was late February where I started getting heavier. And then I think it was early May when I started getting back up to benching over 500. 
So, and then about two weeks ago, I hit 600 off a two board. So there we go. Yep. Yeah. I was, that was, I was there for that, right? That was where, when I was there. I think, or, I think you were there. Yeah. You went to one of the side spots. It was a fun night. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, do you have any meets in mind coming up? When is their next competition? Um, it's, it's kind of been pushed back a little bit. Uh, the meet that my wife just did, there was some screw up with the paperwork and I, we're not sure it's even going to count towards open powerlifting. So she's getting ready to compete and probably end in November, beginning of December. My training partner, Brian is doing a bench only meet at the end of November. So I'll be there to handle him. I'm there to handle her, uh, at her meet. So right now it looks like probably beginning of January, uh, end of January, I might go down to New Jersey and compete at, uh, the new England, uh, or sorry, the New Jersey championships for RPS. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, it's still a ways off just because of timing. And I have a big meet that I'm running in October and have a lot going on between now and that. Is that the uh, one at MetFit? Yep. That's the power challenge. Yep. So, so I believe uh, a few of my, I guess, athletes are going to be competing there. So I'll excellent. be there handling them. <laughs> so it should be fun. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I've got early September, I've got the charity truck pull that I try and do every year. Uh, yep. And December, beginning of December, I have the charity powerlifting meet that uh, you donate $100 to an animal shelter, send me the receipt, and that's your entry fee. Uh, that one benefits the animals directly. There are no trophies, no shirts, but it is a sanctioned meet. It does get ranked on open powerlifting. Uh, so it's a full meet. Yeah. So I actually, I think that's a good transition to kind of talk about what you do outside of the sport. I know you're very involved in animals. Um I know you have your own little zoo, you like to call it. So yep. I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, I've actually, I've rescued parrots for 25 years. And I was the vice president of a parrot sanctuary down on the Cape for quite a few years. Uh, this was all volunteer work that I did after hours after my full-time job. So I do work a full-time job. Uh, I run the design department for a window and door company. Part-time, pretty much every Sunday, if I'm not in a meet, I'm working at Cape Cod Nutrition Corner up in Easton or in Plymouth. And then after that, I have, you know, we got one rescue puppy, one rescue dog. We have a puppy we just got. Uh, we have 10 parrots. Um, we got a bunch of chickens out in the backyard. We've rescued a leopard gecko and a bearded dragon. So we have a house full of pets. Yep. <laughs> uh, just over the weekend, we actually, my old, the cantankerous old man that we had in the house, he passed away. Uh, he was an Amazon parrot and he was almost 60 years old. Oh, wow. So he lived a long life, but yeah, we've had at one point, uh, had 23 different birds in my house. That's um, a couple of, of salt, water, <laughs> couple of salt water tanks. We had, we had a six foot iguana that lived in the uh, walk-in closet. So <laughs> instead of setting up a cage for him, we just, we had him in a walk-in closet yeah. um, and he was low key. He'd come out and hang out. And again, he was a rescue as well. Someone had to move out of an apartment and couldn't take him. So we ended up with him. So what made you kind of get into rescuing animals and uh, I guess more specifically parrots? Uh, well, years ago when I was a kid, my uncle raised baby birds and he also rescued birds. So I kind of got that bug back then. Uh, I helped take care of some of his parrots and he, I had a few that he had given me and kept them for many years. And then, you know, after college, kind of got drunk, kind of got married and you know, that's when things fell apart. And uh, my first wife had a handful of parrots. She had four when we got together and that just kind of reignited everything for me. And it was with her that I started rescuing birds. 
uh, getting them out of really bad situations and giving them a good proper home to live. That's so awesome. animals have always been part of my life. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm like I, I was talking to you before, I'm looking to adopt a dog in the near future. I mean, animals are always great. They're great for, I guess, your own mental health as well as, I mean, getting animals out of bad situations is always good. Yep. And there's plenty of animals to rescue. So, oh, yes. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, there's uh, I do a little bit of work with one up near Natick that's called Pity Love Rescue. Uh, they're a great a great foundation. And then the Animal Protection Center of Southern Massachusetts is another good one that's down here in the Brockton area. And they're the ones we've done a lot of the charity meets for and the charity truck pulls for. That's awesome. So, yeah. Um, so along with rescuing them, the charity meet that I run, I uh, ran a veterans one last year and uh, also ran the one for the animal rescue. And it was the same thing. Donate $100 to an animal rescue, send me the receipt, and you're in. Uh, the charity truck pulls that we do at Mass Iron, uh, you literally show up. We've got two, three, five trucks there. Uh, you donate 20 bucks to the animal rescue. They're right there with a table all set up. We scrap you to a truck and you pull. And you get some wicked cool shots of you pulling some really big trucks. Yeah, I've seen some, some clips <laughs> from it, some pictures from it. I mean, there's the the uh, big old banner in Mass Iron hanging up of it. It's awesome. Yep. Um, I think this is also kind of good to now talk about more about rps kind of how you got involved with them um kind of some of the founding pillars of rps and kind of the history behind it okay so years ago uh gene richlack uh first man to ever bench 900 first man to ever bench a thousand pounds uh he ran meets for ipa and there were some some issues that he had with IPA and handled how they handled things. And he really just reached a point where he decided to break out on his own. Uh, he was working side by side with a lady named Amy. Uh, and I forget Amy's last name because I never knew her maiden name. Lutz, L-U-T-Z. That's what it was. Um, she was kind of his manager. And they started working on a new meet. And there was originally a foundation called Richlack Power Systems. And that was what Gene coached under. That's what Gene ran a lot of his meets under. So they wanted to transition that RPS into something new. And that came up with revolution powerlifting. And Amy tells the story of literally sitting there with a dictionary and flipping through the dictionary to find a word that began with S that <laughs> would work. Yeah. And they finally, at the end of it, almost at the end of the S section was syndicate. And that's really what it is. It's not a federation. It's a syndicate of lifters. We all are together. We're all there to support each other. All the meets are run by lifters and it's all for the lifters. Uh, there is no membership fee. There is no yearly commitment you have to make. Literally to compete in RPS, you need to pay your registration fee and show up in a singlet. Mm -hmm. um, so makes it nice and easy. So the way I got involved with it was I started competing uh, with Revolution Powerlifting in 2012 and it was the second year that they had been formed they got formed in 2011 and uh my first meet with them was in hartford connecticut and it was a bit of a shock because it was at the expo that they the europa, europa expo they used to run out there so there was strongman there was jujitsu there was you know rolling there was arm wrestling crossfit bodybuilding and all the vendor booths so it was like a mini arnold yeah and kind of walking in there was a shock uh for me because it was like whoa this is a big stage but at the same time one of the funniest stories i have for weighing in was i was getting ready for the meet i had cut 
probably 16 pounds and was ready to weigh in. And I'm waiting for Gene and waiting for the weigh-in time. And this guy walks up who is the size of a house. And he's literally, he has a bucket of KFC under his arm. And he's <laughs> eating a bucket of KFC. And I'm just looking at him like, are you weighing in? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, but, but, and he's like, yeah, I'm super heavyweight. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he's like, and actually I ate a bucket of chicken on the way here. So, <laughs> so it was a bit of a bit of a shock going to that big of a meet. But then in 2013, uh, the beginning of 2013, there was a meet in Johnston, Rhode Island. Uh, I think it was next level fitness. And Gene put out the call that he needed some spotters and loaders. So I'm like, yeah, hey, you know, I got nothing going on that weekend. So I drove out there. It wasn't far from me. It was only, I don't know, about an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, and I spotted and loaded for the day. And then I came back the next day to spot and load and help packed up. And that kind of bit me giving back to the sport. Uh, the other thing that happens, a lot of people don't realize is when you spot and load at a meet, there's a lot that happens on that platform that lifters never see. Like you don't ever see the, you know, the, the judges flinging ammonia caps at each other. <laughs> you know? So you'll come up, you'll crack an ammonia cap and you'll throw it on the floor. And then what you won't see is the judge grabbing that off the floor and us, you know, toss it around to each other. <laughs> uh, so literally if you want, if you're on, if you're competing in RPS and you crack an ammonia cap, just drop it in the judge's lap. We appreciate it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, so I started spotting and loading. And then it just happened that the gym I went to was expanding and they had a deadlift platform. They had a deadlift jack and they had a bowl of chalk. And I thought I can run a meet here. So I started talking with Gene about it. And in 2014, the first Southern mass blast happened and it just is, you know, off and running from there. And I ran the Worcester County strength bounty, uh, all out of bubble gum. I uh, ran the Connecticut States, uh, you know, that meet out in Connecticut was literally the name of the meet. Uh, the funny story behind that one is it was called that RPS meet in Connecticut. It was at Lightning Fitness. And years ago, there was a little bit of a falling out between Matt Mills, the owner of Lightning, and Gene Richlack. Mm -hmm. So Amy told me if I run a meet there, I can't put Lightning Fitness on the shirt. So it was like, okay, can't. So I came up with this, you know, I'm worried. We're going to do an RPS meet in Connecticut. And that's the name of it. <laughs> Cause then people would be like, what, what meet? Yeah. That RPS yeah. meet in Connecticut. Oh yeah. The one at lightning. Yeah. So it just filled it in. That's funny. But uh, yeah. So then running meets, spotting and loading. And I still do that. I'm actually in about two weeks headed down to Pennsylvania to help spot and load at a meet. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to take a minute to say like, thank you for everything you've done for the sport. I mean, You've been awesome. Um, I mean, I love your rules clinic every time. It never gets old to me. It's always funny. And yep. I mean, you run a great meet. Um, you RPS is just very supportive, uh, very fun environment. And I think it's a great federation for anyone that wants to start powerlifting. Um, like I said, great meet, run well. Everything's run smooth. I've never seen any like, big problems or issues there. It's been awesome. Yeah. That's, and that's part of what I do is I'm always, and you'll see me at meets. I'm always moving around. I'm always talking. I'm always checking judges, spotters, loaders. Uh, I'm watching the, the flight list, who's up, what weights we got coming up and just trying to make sure all that runs smooth. Uh, my actual title with RPS is I'm not a meet director. Uh, I'm actually a meet coordinator because I do a lot for, for RPS. I do a lot for other meet directors. Uh, and I only run three meets a year myself. So my actual term is meet coordinator. Yeah. Uh, 
on that note, me, running meets is tough. Um, not only finding the judges, judges that are qualified, uh, spotters and loaders. Uh, Mass Iron has been a huge help with that. I can't yep. say enough good things about Tommy and Heather and the crew that they have there. Um, they get paid very nicely to come help out at meets and help spot and load. So it benefits the gym. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've kind of thought about, um, getting into maybe judging. Um, what's like the process of becoming a judge for RPS? Showing loyalty. That's, that's the first step. Um, helping spot at loaded meet, helping with the setup crew, helping with the breakdown crew. Um, it's the people that show up time and time again, uh, and the ones that compete in RPS that we trust their judgment, we trust them as a person, and we know them well enough that we know they're not going to make a judgment call based on something else other than the lift. Yep. Uh, and then it's knowing the rules, it's knowing the, the ins and outs of all the little pieces. Uh, and the biggest one, I'm usually the guy that puts judges in chairs, and it's whether or not I trust you to make that the right call. Um, I mean, I can remember years ago, a little bit after I started judging, there was a call that I made. I watched a bench, a guy bench, and his butt came off the bench. So I red-lighted him. Yep. And the guy went to Gene and argued it back and forth. And there were extenuating circumstances. You know, the guy was a well-known lifter, uh, had gotten kicked out of a USPA meet the week before for frivolous little actions. And Gene made the call to give him the lift. Yep. And I told Gene, I said, it doesn't matter that you gave him that lift. I will still make that call again and again. I will not change that call. And he yep. said that I expect nothing less. Yeah. Uh, Gene was always a believer in trusting the judges to make the right call. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's very important. Um, I think it's important too. I, like, I guess obviously you want to have people you trust, and but you also want to have people that aren't going to be biased. Um, right. So, I mean, RPS. There's a lot of people that know each other, but I think at the end of the day, everyone who's been involved in meets is someone to trust, and I yeah. respect every call I've gotten. <laughs> I mean, my my wife has red lighted me, so um, <laughs> yeah. she she will. Uh, she really is awesome, and she is one that will definitely make the call the right way. Um, my training partner, he's never red-lighted me, but he's also never had to judge me. But I have had friends that said, nope, your depth wasn't there. Okay, well, it'll be there next time. Uh, yeah, and I think it's important. Like, I want I want my friends to tell me, like, hey, you didn't do this, or, but then to let me know after what I did wrong. And, like, it kind of um, actually at the meet recently, on I think it was on my, my first or second squad attempt, um Dexter actually he wrapped me and it was so tight I haven't I didn't have it that tight yet and yeah. it was almost like squatting to a box and so Tom gave me a red light and was saying the depth was just a, like a little bit short but he was just being nitpicky just because he didn't want me to miss it so yep so and that is the other thing that if you know in if you get red lighted and this really stands for most all the federations USAPL I don't know so much because they're USAPL but <laughs> um if you get red lighted, I mean, just, I mean, ask the judges right down in there. It takes three seconds for them to tell you exactly what you did wrong. And we're more than happy to tell you. Uh, the hardest part is, is you come back five or six lifters later. And we have literally seen so many lifts throughout the day. They do tend to blend together. Uh, we don't necessarily watch the lifter. Uh, we pretty much always watch the lift. Yeah. So with squat, it's your foot placement first, where the bar sits, where your hip movement is, where your knee, hit, where your kneecap is. Really, we don't even look at their face. <laughs> so it does it does get a little difficult on the judges because there it is nonstop. 
Yeah. It's like driving a car down a busy highway at 80 miles an hour for eight hours straight. It's like, okay, <laughs> you're just driving, but yeah, at the end, you're mentally exhausted. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, so those little, those little hits of ammonia every now and then, yeah, they help out. Yeah. That may, now, now it all makes sense. Um, so, so the, I guess, uh, the I other guess one other thing I want to touch on uh, before we go too far from RPS, uh, I encourage everybody go out and do a meet at another federation. Um, I mean, I've competed in other federations. I don't now because I know why I compete in RPS. Mm -hmm. uh, but my wife has done IPA meets. My training partner's doing an EPF meet. Uh, we've got friends that have done USPA meets. Uh, we host Mass Iron hosts APF meets. So don't stick to one federation. Go out and try the others. Uh, you know, I hope you come back to RPS because of what we stand for and what we believe in. But at the same time, I would rather see a lifter compete than choose to, you know, ignore a federation and just go on their own way. So, yeah, please jump into other feds, jump into the meet that works for you. Yeah. And I guess uh, kind of going off that, too, um, obviously, you've run multiple meets, uh, some beginner and novice meets. Um, what's like a word of advice you would give to new or younger lifters getting into the sport? Um, don't worry about your numbers. Uh, and then the second thing is listen for your commands. <laughs> um, that's the biggest thing on meet day. I've had so many new lifters that just, they forget those commands. Yeah. Um, but the biggest thing is, is, is trust yourself when you're stepping on that platform. And when you do step on that platform, that platform is yours. You don't worry about who's up next. You don't worry about the judges. You don't worry about all that. You concentrate on your lift, know your steps, know your cues and execute with the judge's commands. Uh, do that and you'll have a great meet. Um, and get to know other lifters. Say hi. We're not, you know, we may be big and scary, but we're all a bunch of teddy bears. Yeah. Yep. And then <laughs> it's funny because, uh, I mean, you warn, you warn about the uh, rack command for bench and all the time. And even in my first meet, I still I still did it once and, and haven't done it since. It's okay. funny because you get, you get excited and you forget about that one. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, it really, I mean, that's the biggest thing is people will jump a command and to counteract that I do this all the time when I'm training and even still, you know, decades later that I'm still training, I'm always using those commands in my head. Uh, every time I lay down on the bench, whether it's for a warm up, whether it's the empty bar, whether it's three plates, whether it's 600 pounds, I lay down, I set up exactly the same way. So it really does become second nature. Uh, unracking the, the bar, knowing exactly where it needs to be. Just drill those points into your head. So when it comes to meet day, you don't ever have to worry about that. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much everything I got for this episode. Um, yep. So thank you again for coming on. I really enjoyed um, your time and I can't wait to train with you again. You might have to borrow your shirt again. Uh, yep. Kind of want to uh, see what I can get up to at some point. So Yeah. So, uh, I mean, on that note, I just want to put this out now, but August 24th, it's a Saturday. Uh, we're doing another bench day. So Mass Iron's hosting it, and you just show up and chip 20 bucks for your day pass, and we'll have a number of shirts there. You guys can jump in and try them out. Uh, awesome. Or if you want to you have your own shirt, come down, jump in with us. But Sounds good. Yeah. I appreciate it, Cam. Uh, no and I'll see you at Mass Iron sometime soon. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good one. Bye. This concludes episode six of the Powerlifters Den. Stay tuned for next week.